Hello everyone and welcome to this week's topic of the week. My name is Alec and we have Joshua Cheatham on the line. Uh, today we're going to be talking about restoring faith in political institutions. And by restoring faith in political institutions, first of all I want to define political institutions as any sort of institutions that deals with policy making from uh, international bodies to your local domestic insti- uh, domestic policy making. Whatever it is, from your from the federal government to the international community, whatever it is. And by restoring faith, we mean um, ensuring that people trust um, the government. And there's been one big thing is that the people just don't trust international institutions anymore. From um, one big one big talk is about the United Nations and their failure to prevent the war in Ukraine. And secondly, another thing is the international uh, criminal court and the court of justice where they failed where Putin is going to these countries that are part of the ICJ and ICC and they're not arresting these countries or, or these countries have made promises to not arrest these um, uh, to arrest Putin even though he has a warrant out for his arrest so it's it's this types of things that test our faith in these institutions internationally and domestically yeah, and um, we would bog you down with statistics, but you can look those up on the internet. We want to discuss exactly what we feel the solutions are to fixing um, and restoring faith in our governments. Because uh, if there's one thing that we don't – that we know, especially if you live in the United States and you're listening to this podcast, um, in the recent election in 2020, um, only 63% of people had faith. Um, somewhat was the the sixty three percent somewhat meaning they kind of have faith in government. There was only sixty three percent of people. That's not good. It's not good at all. And I'm sure that those sentiments are being roved around Europe right now with the populist and uh, conservative revolution versus the liberals. They're just not. They're everyone's so polarized in this world. And then we look at the UN and how people uh, look at the effectiveness of what they do as a body. Um, the International Court of Justice as well. Uh, heck, NATO, for Christ's sake. Some people don't even trust NATO to do its job. So what we're going to look at today is exactly what we think should be possible. And for me, I focus a little bit more on government in terms of the federal governments of the world. And Alec is focusing more on um, the international level. And so we can... International bodies, yeah. Yeah, international bodies. So we could do a little back and forth. For me, I'm going to start with this one, is reducing candidates' dependency on funding, large funding. So this is for the government level. Now, this is something that happens at all governments. Lobbying is something that happens at all governments. Funding is something that happens in all federal systems. And it's no better place than the United States and Europe that you see large amounts of donations being given to candidates to help run their campaigns. That is one thing that I believe needs to be stopped. Not funding in general, but large amounts. Individuals can only give $5,000 in terms of federal law in the United States, but companies and corporations can give much, much more. So that is one thing that I agree that needs to be stopped. Yeah, funding is a big thing. And another thing I want to talk about domestically to add on to that is um, the way that politicians work in order to 
get reelected instead of focusing on policies because they're focused on two things one getting donor money which is basically i'll give you this amount if you do this in office to re-get their their donor money for campaigns and secondly is they're focused on themselves and their public image to get reelected again versus focusing on their policy goals that they were so adamant on while they were running and these are two things that may donations and things i understand like it happens it's like it's 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 a gray area where it's like it's not illegal but it's it, it could be question it's questionable it's almost taking bribes they're taking the money and they're all they're being influenced by the money and the decisions they make as a result of taking payment but it's we need to do something about it and i think the change will come when there's more kind of transparency on for for everybody where it's they see that these people these we're electing are being influenced by the I, the public image part and not because we want change they're not they don't these politicians i personally feel they don't really seem to care about what we what we want policy wise what we want international wise what we want to see more domestically they're so focused on themselves and their 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 donors that we're just we're just numbers to politicians yeah and I really like your point. Um, one thing that I know I, I like to vote on is when I see policies being pushed that they promised that they were going to push when they got into their office. And in terms of what congressmen in the U.S. or parliaments and other governments can do, there's a lot of th- there's a lot of nuances. I understand there's got to be gives and you know they have to give and they have to take. Uh, some things when it comes to policy, make sure that the opposition has things that they want, compromise. That's that's normal. But when I see those issues being passed that they said that they were going to work on to pass, that makes me want to vote for them again. Not people who continuously campaign throughout their entire time in office. I mean, for congressmen, they have two years in office in the United States, and all they do is campaign. That's their goal, is to get reelected. So realistically, what does go, what, what happens? Nothing. Um, and I, I also like the idea when you were talking about uh, spending and how there should be more transparency. I think that every public company, every public company, and not private companies, every public company should disclose their political spending. And I, 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 and I full heartedly agree with that because whether or not you spend on a Democrat or a Republican is not going to matter whether or not I go and buy whatever you have. I just want to know who's spending who to understand exactly where the money's going because that keeps a transparency. Why candidates are running, where they're getting their money from, and if they're being bribed or if they're being, you know, using those funds for other things like buying a luxury car um, or, you know, a house. That I think those spending should be disclosed. And we. By disclosing it, you also see what the possibility for policy goals are. So let's say you are a a business owner and you have 
let's say chips, right? Hypothetically, you have semiconductors, and you give a big donation for a campaign to um, a person running for office. Their policy goals are going to be orientated um, based on semiconductors because that's there was probably a collective bargaining agreement saying, hey, listen, I'm going to give you this much. I heard you do something uh, for semiconductors, and we believe that we want to we want to help you campaign. So by by knowing where where the money is coming from and where it's going to, that can help us as voters pick and choose who we want to put. For example, if I'm a person that's concerned about the economy, I want to know which politician is taking in campaign money from companies who are support from tech companies, for example. So yeah. if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And and it just increases transparency really with between the people of the federal government and uh, corporations who are, you know, lobbying to uh, get their goals across because they have the money. Um, and so I think that's a great transparency uh, part. Mm-hmm. And another thing I want to talk about um, in restoring faith in political institutions is term limits. Um, yes. So off camera, we were talking about this, and now I wanted to bring it up. It wasn't even on my list of things I wanted to talk about. But if we want to restore faith, there should be no one the age of 65 over <laughs> in sitting in office. They, they just don't have the physical and mental capabilities. I mean, look at Senator Mitch McConnell. He has frozen up twice or three times on stage, and they claim he's okay. And that nothing's wrong, but something's, he's not okay. You know, he's going old. It's, he's not, he's not fit for office and we need to have term limits. I, I myself do not trust anyone that old running policy, creating policy. I, I just, I, I just cannot trust someone who's, who's freezing up on stage. And it's not just that. It's just like, it's, it's science. It's, you get to a certain age where you're just not mentally and physically capable, and we need we need term limits if we're going to restore faith. In yeah, I, and, and it's not just the United States. It's, I'm talking about term limits just everywhere, where governments around the world should implement uh, a minimum age and a maximum age. Yeah, I agree. And term limits, what they also do is they they allow for new ideas to come in. Because for me, these politicians, especially in the United States, are there for life. They're for lifers. And I don't like people who are like that, who are politicians for life. They have never worked another job. A lot of these politicians, especially um, who have been there for a long time in Congress, but especially senators, they haven't worked many other jobs that are in touch with the people. And if they have, they were lawyers. That's really it. And so term limits are important to also foster new ideas and get people out of office who have been there forever, which also can, you know, stop corruption um, from being and stop coalitions of people who have been together for a long time and worked together for a long time from continuously forming and stop policy from being pushed uh, into the government. I mean, for example, right now, the Republicans, um, McCarthy, as the speaker in the United States, they are not going to push these spending bills through to help run the government. There's a potential government shutdown all for partisan reasons. 
And one of the biggest in all the groups that are against it are politicians that have been there for for decades and for many terms. And the this the party line has gotten so extreme that is dividing the entirety of the United States. And with this division, if we can't trust ourselves and our and our and people who are who think the opposite of us, how are we going to trust the people to do the same thing, but on the federal level? And it blows my mind that we're we're willing to risk a government shutdown, leave thousands unemployed. And not get anything passed simply because of party lines. Now I understand, you know, politics, right? It's just it's all politics, but there's a fine line between being a, extremely based on politics and and your party than just saying, "Listen, you do this, but I want to pass this." It's like, I get it. Everyone wants to put, everyone wants something to do on the spending budget. And they all want to make sure that we're not overspending or we're not underspending. But there we should have be a government a to run. Yeah, we have a government <laughs> to run, anyways. We can't just, just be like, oh, there's too many dollar signs here. We need to get rid of this. It's like, we need to do something first, and then we can go back to it. We can say, they can go up to the Democrats and say, listen. We'll get. We'll let you have it this time, but next time, when we're doing this again, I want to put this, this, and this. Yeah, and one of Give the things take. that I wrote in an article um, on our on our website about the government shutdown, um, that it, it, what it does is it, it it'll basically just ruin our national security and our our economy at very high levels, and this is exactly why. People don't trust the U.S. government. It's one of the reasons why people aren't trusting governments in Europe right now because they are not passing legislation. The United Kingdom cannot get a single thing out of parliament at the moment. There is nothing that Sunak has been able to go up to the public and be like, we signed this, that has been major policy that has shifted the United Kingdom back to where it is. The French government is not being able to pass anything on immigration because the parties are so divided that they cannot even solve that there are people here that need to be housed or put back to where they came from. They're just sitting there with no solutions. I don't agree that they should be put thrown back to where they came from because they're, they're coming from conflict areas. But the point is, is that there are no solutions being implemented because there are divided party lines within France, within the United Kingdom, within the United States. That is why people are losing their faith in government. And that is exactly why there needs to be term limits in terms of how long you can run. And I think this goes across all governments. I don't think you should be in the United Kingdom's parliament for 50 years. That's ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. And at the point, if you're in there for 50 years, you're in there for power. You're not you, you for, you've forgotten about the main reason you're there. And it's for the people. You yeah. after 50 years, that's just not clear to you anymore. You just want to be in there and you're only worried about staying in power. You don't care about influencing policy or whatever it is. There's yeah. they they completely forget their purpose. But um I want to talk about something more international now. And it's Let's do it. 
um, and it's uh, transparency on these international. I want to go from from policy making to to the spending portion now, if that makes sense, Josh. So yeah. I want to I want to start international first, and the first thing with spending is these international organizations, right? Okay. I want to go back to the the earthquakes in Haiti in 2010, where the all international organizations, the international organizations involved, they had a 1.4 billion dollar budget for Haiti back in 2010 to rebuild that country. Do you do you know what happened with all that? Nothing. Nothing. One point four billion gone. There is six houses that were propped up. Everyone else was living in tents. Everyone that was a part of the rebuilding process, they were all eating out at these fancy restaurants. They had their SUVs driving around, pretending they were doing something. Set up a toilet here. Set up some camps here. <laughs> And then at night, they were like, all right, we did it. That's it. Let's go. Let's go get hammered at the best restaurant that's like $50 steaks in Haiti. And the spending is a part. It's two things. Transparency, accountability. Three things. Transparency, accountability, and budgeting spending. We're all, all this money is going to these international institutions where countries are giving up a portion of their money, right? Uh, they're giving out. They have their budgets for these orgs, and yet we still have issues like world hunger. We still have issues. It's like where is this money going? And the money is going for these international orgs to pay off their debts. So if we donate money to the orgs, that is not going to the cause. That is going to them paying off their debts for keeping that org alive. And it's like which is utterly ridiculous. It's not utterly our responsibility. Ridiculous. It's not no. our responsibility. When I'm donating my money to an international cause, that better go to the person I'm giving the money to. And that, that there, there's there's many different nuances that need to be, you know, fixed. There one is oversight. There needs to be much more oversight of the UN. Holy mother of Mary! I, like how much money do they spend that goes to nothing? Haiti is a great example. All the UN peacekeeping missions, how much have they actually done? It's that they've they've signed a couple of ceasefires. Whoop de doo. They resume at almost eighty percent, and this is the statistic, almost eighty percent of UN peacekeeping missions, once the United Nations left, returned back to violence. Almost immediately. One case right now, Ethiopia, the, they left in 2010, the UN peacekeeping mission. There is still violence to this day um, against Eritrea. The Congo is another example. Kosovo is another example. Armenia is another example of continued conflict. There needs to be more oversight because our money... That our countries are doing is being wasted. <laughs> it's like, where is our money going? Where, it's not even our money. It's these these countries that have to pay. A, they have to pay a certain amount based on their GDP, and it just doesn't. It just doesn't add up. All this money we're giving to these orgs to do what they were designed for. Yeah, but they're not. It, look, look at Russia, Ukraine. 
where is the UN Charter being protected here? Where is that enforcement body? There is no enforcement body. It's a United Nations Charter. That itself has so much weight. But we're throwing it around like it's nothing. Like it's just it's just a piece of paper with words on the, it. The Russians basically just said, you know what? Rip it in half. UN Charter doesn't exist in our in our uh, in our worlds. It has no but, weight whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. And it's like we need we need to better these institutions with, like you said, more oversight. And who would be on the oversight? Put the public in there. Forget the governments. There is no. There has been no public like involvement. Volunteer people who can not even volunteer, but there should be paid positions and volunteer positions for people to be involved to to check. There is no checks and balance system in 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 the U, in the UN system. There is no checks and balances. They're just writing off checks, doing whatever. Not enforcing anything, having a few dialogues here and there. I mean, the, what 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 happened at the UN General Assembly this week? Any, yeah, uh, is there anything? Nothing, <laughs> that's Nothing exactly, happened to <laughs> what else This is the seventy eighth General Assembly uh, in history since it was founded in nineteen forty five, and we still have the same issues going on in the world that we did in nineteen forty five, and in some cases, in terms of the violence. Today, that's going on in terms of war, uh, is worse than what it was forty-five or uh, forty-five years ago, seventy-five when it was founded in nineteen forty-five, after a world war. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. You remember when Elon Musk said he was going to? Uh, we've definitely talked about this before, but this is just an example. Remember when Elon Musk said he was going to? You know, the World Food Program said. Six billion dollars would solve world uh, hunger, yeah. and Elon Musk was like, "Okay, I'll sell six billion dollars in Tesla stock. Show me uh, how you're going to do it." And yet, we never heard from the World Food Program since. Uh, oh no, they, because... they made they made a video, right? And it said this how this much would be used or this, but it wasn't. It's it was just like a bunch of just words like how we're going to use the money, but it wasn't a balance sheet. Elon Musk said, I want a balance sheet of how each dollar is going to be spent. But, and that's exactly what I'm saying. They don't have, these international orgs, they just don't have the capability to commit to to things they say. And it's like, why is that? For one of them is the internal agreements and disagreements that happen within the debate process and, and, and overall just, just uh, conversation and dialogue. There's such, there's so much just like back and forth and unnecessary back and forth where they even, where they go through the language and they're just like, this needs to change. We need to do this, change this. I mean, if, if anyone has read a resolution, it could be a general assembly resolution, whatever it is. They're so vague because they're afraid that the more specific they get with these international resolutions, it might be like finding or it might be too suggestive and it's like this is an Good. international exactly it is an international dialogue and conversation you if 193 member states agree with it and majority with majority rules majority rules if the majority agree with how with the language of a bill that it, it could be as specific as like uh, hypothetically 500 million goes into the investments uh, of semiconductors in X country. And if it's that like 
to the point and the majority agree, who cares? It is an, an yeah. international body to allow them to vote. All countries have the same weight when they vote. It's not like the U.S. has a bigger weight than a country in Africa. Each have a single – each have one vote, and it's equal. Let that policy be as suggestive and as like direct as possible. We don't need such – it's all fluff. You just read it, and it's like we're going to do this because in the past this happened. And it's like, okay, how are you going to do it? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating, too, because the one thing that about the UN in general, um, if you don't know anything about the UN, there is the diplomatic side of the UN, which is like General Assembly, Security Council. Uh, but then there's the Secretariat, and the Secretariat basically run the UN. They are UN. They work for the UN. They don't work for their, their government back home. They work for the United Nations. And in many cases, the Secretariat are the ones that are pushing policy. And we will try to have someone on this podcast later. Uh, his name's Dr. Stouffer. He worked in the UN to discuss UN reform in an episode later on uh, down the line. But the United Nations has a secretariat that basically pushes and writes the policy, Does runs those organizations like UNESCO, like the United Nations Environmental Assembly, um, like the General, even the General Assembly in, in cases. Why aren't they able to push for the things that they work for why doesn't the united nations environmental assembly people have a their body fund organizations local organizations that work in countries that have problems like let's say plastic cleanup on the oceans why don't they fund them to help clean the oceans why doesn't that happen but the the diplomats are the ones that are carrying those out but the secretariat should be the ones doing that in many cases, giving that funding to those countries to clean up their oceans. That is a UN and that country working together or that organization that could be an NGO that is working together to clean up the ocean. And that doesn't happen very often. No, and it probably won't happen at all. No. The, the private sector does a better job in, in investments and cleanup efforts and then than, than the United Nations does so. Uh, I highly believe that. Uh, and and this goes to my next point, right? What if we have more private sector engagement in in the United Nations, where we have private sectors be able to lobby um, international kind of orgs and try to get their voice heard instead yeah. of these member states? That yes, it's they're doing their best to promote dialogue. These member states, but we need more private sector involvement. In, in these international orgs as well, because it allows for on on the ground kind of here's what's happening. Yeah, here's my perspective and here's the people's perspective. And we're only going to get that to the private sector. Yeah. And you, I don't know if you remember when we were at the WHO uh, in Switzerland, the, the lady said that the, the, the private sector is not allowed to work with the UN because it's going to be seen as like bribing. Uh, which it I think is ridiculous. Every government around the world. Yeah, the private sector has the ability to help influence policy. If the private sector wants to donate to a cause, let them donate to the cause. What does it matter that their private sector and their money may be seen as influencing policy? So what? So <laughs> what if they want to donate ten million dollars? 
to the World Food Program to help solve world hunger, and they're influencing policymakers. Good. That's $10 million that's going to feed people. I think that's an utterly ridiculous thing that the UN has in place that doesn't allow the private sector to be engaged in the United Nations and in world problems. And the United Nations is like, we want more private sector engagement. But when it comes time to put these private these people in the private sector to, to show up to these conferences and to have these discussions with leaders of member states, they're like, no, 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 no. We, we, we can't have this. The other, the other thing is we're severely underfunded. Private sector comes in. Oh, we'll give you money. No, you're going to bribe us. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> Do you want the money or not? Here's what I don't understand. You get the money. You get the money. You have control over the money. Dude, if somebody is stealing from the United Nations, do you understand, do they understand the backlash of that? Look, look what's happening with this, this guy, in, uh, uh, the senator from New Jersey, Menendez. Or Mendez. Uh, I forget his name, his name. He just got caught on bribing charges. We're going to crucify this man. This man is never going to have a career for the rest of his life. Probably going to go to jail. Imagine that at the UN level. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He yeah. will never be able to set foot in any country. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that will be horrible. And, and the private sector brings more than money. It's ideas. If you're a technology yes. company, if you're if you're a pharmaceutical, if you're whatever your work is Sharing in. Sharing data that they have, like – Exactly. And the the good thing about the private sector is they're not bound by geopolitics. So two countries can be they could be at war with each other, but the private sectors aren't. So care. now you have no, they, they care about sharing they, they care about money and they care about ideas and they care about expanding their business. Yep. And no better way to, to exchange that idea because they can't do it directly country to country because their country is facing uh, uh, some sort of dispute, war, whatever it is, some sort of dispute. We'll say we'll, we'll we'll not use the term war, but those businesses can still meet and find ways to do things privately, as a private yeah. sector would. And, and countries and Ru- businesses in Russia, they're still doing business, bypassing sanctions. Yeah. So there needs to be regulations on this. There, we 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 have no doubt about that. We there needs to be regulations on private sector involvement everywhere around the world of course that's an agreement but private sector also needs to be involved that like not just at the the, the domestic and and national levels in terms of un member states it needs to be involved directly within the united nations there should be partnerships at the united nations when they sign uh legislation or, or create working papers that turn into documents that have private sector companies signing on to those documents. Imagine the power and the weight of a UN document going through that's on, let's say, the topic of uh, ocean cleanup or nuclear energy, peaceful uses of nuclear energy, and a private sector company has their names stamped on that paper saying that we're going to invest that working paper that we're going to invest in nuclear energy that's going to help power millions and, and billions of homes around the world. That holds a lot of weight, also holds a lot of capital in the ability to actually do that versus you worrying about a member state holding up their end of the bargain by signing that paper because that 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 paper is not 
a, a binding document. But for a, a company that signs that paper, they see an investment opportunity in having a nuclear power plant being set up because they're going to make money off of that. They're going to have more incentive to do so. Money, it improves what... But it improves livelihood. It it does what the UN wants to do, and it's improve life, and yeah. and that's why now there could be a sponsor section, a signatory section, and then like just the the people set the people section where we have people sign on to these documents, and people have a voice, and they can get this kind of faith in international institutions to do what 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 they want. Now people yeah. might be thinking like, oh, are we going to put all businesses in? What if some businesses are conducting things illegally? And of course, there should be limits, as Josh said. Like, for example, if there's a business in the private in the private realm that is funding wars, that is causing I- international issues, or is going to be causing, if there are weapons, uh, a low key weapons dealer, yeah, of course there should be limits. But if if it's yeah. a business that truly wants to just invest their money globally, and they want to be a part of the international stage, then don't let them be. Let them invest how they want, and it reduces the burden of the UN. They can't do their job <laughs> if they yeah, they they're like we want to invest in green tech, and they're like when it comes time to get to to try to find that green tech, they can't do it because they they're they're spending prob the the way they spend money is ridiculous. So if we let the private sector do it, then it then yeah. we would get their goals. They would get their goals done. And we can see better progress at the SDGs because recently I heard that the the SDGs we're we're nowhere near achieving. Oh, we're far the, behind. I think we're like fifteen percent of one fifteen percent of completing those twenty thirty goals. And it's like where it, it it makes me think sometimes like what if we had more people just come out and be investors and be entrepreneurs. And use the international system to build what they want. Yeah. We don't have that access. No. And we need to allow – there needs – to go back to a little point, there needs to be the strong rules. I think that for, for – if you are a, a private company and you want to join the UN, you could join the UN. But your rules are if you fund anything illegal – Weapons, arms, illegal arms trading, the war can, that's currently going on within uh, Ukraine, the Russian, you fund the Russians. You do anything illegal as a private sector company Done. and you're Sanctuary. caught, you're out, you're gone, you're kicked out from the UN. But if you consistently stay good, you can join the UN and help fund great causes. This can add to their budget. Imagine if you had hundreds of thousands of private sector massive companies like Apple and IBM and P&G donating to the United Nations $10 billion budget. I mean, it could increase to like $30, $40, 50000000000 billion. What the UN could do with $50 billion in the hands of private sector and countries and governments, member states could leaps and bounds above what the UN could do right now with their $10 billion budget. Let the public sector delegate tasks. Let the private sector do them. That's bottom line. That's how it just should be. Absolutely. Because the public sector is trying to delegate and do, but their doing part sucks. Let let the people do. Their we money just, part sucks too. Yeah, their money. Yeah, the, the, 
it's it terrible. sucks in general. Period. It's that's, yeah. that's that's it. Period. They should never. They should never have. They should never be accountants. The public sector should never be their own accountant, ever. No. Then they, that's why there needs to be private oversight. That's just that's just bottom line. Yeah. And the and the last thing I want to talk about. We are we are over a little bit, but the last thing I want to talk about is is true youth involvement. I yes. I hate it. I hate it so much. That the, the these international and it's not even international. It's domestic, it's domestic problems and it's international problems. The youth are can never be involved. There is no direct path to. I can't just walk in to the U.S. Capitol right now and just talk to someone and say, "Here is how I truly feel." I gotta make a phone call to an office that doesn't care who I am. I'm gonna leave a message. For a representative that someone else is going to read. I just want to be able to to just go in and say what I want to say for policy. Yes, there's these things. Yes, you can go to a public hearing. But it's like, do they truly care? They don't care what you think about in a public hearing most of the time. Sometimes they will. Sometimes they don't. Unless you pay a lobbying firm. That'll put you on a bill or get you what you want out of a bill. But those public hearings barely, I would say barely, influence a policy change. And yeah. it's like I want to be able to like go go into the, the Senate, the House, wherever it is, and just talk to them. Or just be able to not even just go directly but sign up somewhere to go in there. Yeah. Sign up to go into the UN, New York. And and say here's how what I think about the economy. Yes, there should be certain qualifications. I'm not saying anyone should just go in because you know there's there's good ideas and there's bad ideas. But I, let's say how you're a student, you're about to finish your your graduate degree. You have experience. You've done. You have a bunch of experience internationally. You have experience domestically. I think you're you're well qualified to, to talk about some of these issues. Yeah. And one of the biggest things politicians are failing to use is social media. Um, a lot of people look at social media as like bad for politicians to have uh, an influence on, um, mostly because Trump and his Twitter, uh, I'm going to use the word thing, um, was very, in terms of, it was divisive, let's put it there, in, in some cases. But besides that blip, in, in terms of social media outreach, besides the president and the White House, the Speaker of the House, the Vice President, and some high-level congressmen and senators, I've got no clue where to find anyone else on Instagram. And in fact, some of them might not even have social media and are very bad at outreach. There needs to be social media programs uh, that are – Going out and reaching out to the youth, not just posting. Posting is different from reaching out to the youth. Surveys on their stories, polls on their stories, uh, sending out emails to surveys, calling people. What happened to that? Why aren't we reaching out to constituents anymore? They have to come to the, the office. They have to call the office. Most people don't even know how to get the office's number. So, like, there needs to be definitely more engagement for the youth in terms of what they're seeing. A poll on a story has very, very high rates of answering if you look at 
social influencers and companies. When they put polls on their Instagram stories or their TikToks, they get significant results. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's, I don't know. It's going to be something where the youth have to just find their way or force their way in to try to be, to try to voice their opinions. But it's sad because we're the future. The future needs to be more involved in our politics, and we're struggling to uh, get youth engagement in politics, um, with not just within the United States, but within the world. I mean, there's very few people who know what the UN actually does. Right. And I, I really believe that that's sad because even though we have been kind of you know trash talking the UN, the UN still does a lot of good for a lot of people. Well, at least it tries. Yeah, at least it tries. Yes, it, it's good at finding the problem. It's not good at solving the problem. But that's all I got to say for this talk. Yeah, you got a little long one. A little long one, <laughs> but uh, it was a good one. Absolutely worth it. You know, people oh, need yeah. to realize that you know the government is. People don't have faith in it, and also the government's not really giving you anything to have faith in. Right. So. So, yeah. We hope you enjoyed this uh, this week's topic of the week. Um, if you have any suggestions for us, I think you can leave reviews on Spotify. Um, you can send us an email. Uh, you can reach us out on our social media, whatever you want. Yeah. But, yeah. Leave comments on our Instagram posts on what you want to hear. Oh, yeah. About what's going on in the world. That's Leave a Comments well, on we'll YouTube as well. Comments yeah. on YouTube, whatever you guys want. So thank you all for listening in, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Awesome.